Hello, do-it-yourselfer. Ever thought about gardening? If you can build that window box, you can build a raised bed in your backyard. Bonnie Veggie and Herb Plants in Raised Beds make a fast weekend project with a big payback. Fresh, grow them yourself tomatoes and peppers, kale, basil and thyme, and so much more. Bonnie plants are healthy and strong and help jumpstart your garden. So get growing. Plans and how-tos at bonnieplants.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to Sharp and Hot. This is episode 39. If you are keeping track, I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, joining you today via heritageradionetwork.org, broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in. On today's show, I have two very exciting guests. I have Andre Mack, owner of owner and winemaker of Mouton Noir Wines and sommelier at Thomas Keller's Restaurants, The French Laundry and Per Se, and author of the new culinary coloring and activity book called Small Time Cooks. He is joining me in the studio. Hello, Andre. Hi. Hi. And via phone, I have another author, Kate Payne, who has written The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen and is joining me via phone. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for having me. Hello. I'm so glad that you are both here. I am excited to have two writers on my show on the same day. This is exciting for me as a fellow writer. And so when the opportunity came up and the timing worked, I was like, yes, perfect. You're both, you, your books are both very different. So I'm going to give you each an opportunity to sort of introduce your concepts and then talk to you about um, what it is that you do in the world of food and writing. So Kate, your book, your new book is The Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking. Uh, Sorry, your first book was The Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking. Your second book is The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen. Tell us what The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen is. The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen is kind of a at-your-own-pace guide to kicking butt in the kitchen. So it's from stocking up to cooking those three meals a day um, from from home, you know, trying to eat less um, out in the world um, due to budget or, you know, other types of concerns. And then um, other types of projects that you might expand into as your kitchen kick-ass um, gets, gets geared up and, like, preserving or um, throwing dinner parties and having people over and sharing food with friends. So it, it's really about being practical um, but also having some fun. As I was uh, getting ready for the show, an email popped into my um, inbox from my alma mater, which is the Institute of Culinary Education on 23rd Street in Manhattan, in Manhattan and it said, how to do a Pinterest-worthy picnic. And I thought, oh, how perfect, because you mentioned Pinterest in the intro to your book. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much visually out there. Everyone feels possibly pressured to, like, have these perfect, everything, you know, Pinterest-worthy, whatever, you know, and and just, you know, I think that also inhibits people from actually getting, you know, getting to know the kitchen better because they think, oh, I can never measure up or, um, you know, like, oh, these people are doing it so much better, I could never do that. So I feel like I really want to get people just going, get started, um, feel empowered to maybe try something new in the kitchen 
whether it's cooking dinner or whether it's making like an herb salt or herb butter or, you know, something that you can do with leftover whatever you have from the market or whatever you grew on your fire escape, you know? Right, and yeah, I, I like the format of your book a lot because there are lots of recipes in it, but it's sort of written like a teacher talks. Like, okay, this is let's talk about vinegar. Here's how you buy it. Here's how you store it, and here's what you use it for. And it's very readable, like where you can sit down and read it in chunks, unlike a cookbook where you sort of, I find that I fall into the trap of just looking for a particular recipe and kind of skimming over things if I'm not being mindful that there are other recipes that may catch my eye if I'm just looking for like the chocolate I I actually have the perfect example I have the 700 page gourmet today cookbook that was given to me as a gift the gift the only thing that I have cooked out of it is the brownie recipe because I flip right to the brownies I cook it and then I put it back on the shelf which is so bad (laughs) so I like yours because it's readable um, as something to learn from not just something to cook from that's really was was my goal. I really wanted to just be more of like a kitchen friend, you know, someone that you pull off the shelf and chat with or listen to as you're, you know, possibly either having a crisis in the kitchen or you're just trying to figure out, well, what's my next move in here? What, you know, I've mastered this. Now I'm going to move on to this. Right. Um, so just helping people get, get, get into the swing of things with methods and, and to help people understand recipes, you know, because that's another big thing, depending on how they're written, who, you know, what type of food needs you are, allergies or whatnot, you know, I feel like recipes are a dime a dozen and you can find great ones, but people, it's just so personal. So get people just to understand the methods they're, they're going to be using and then let them find their recipe that works for them. And you really become a better cook that way. So from the very practical in the kitchen friend with you to the very whimsical Andre, we have Small Time Cooks Culinary Coloring and Activity Book. Allison, our executive director at the radio station, is going to tweet out a picture. She took, um, I think she took a picture of the activity where you match the name of the cheese with the appropriate animal that the milks came from. Yeah, I like that one. That was one of the, that was a, a great one to put together and work on. So you are a sommelier by train, train but you went to school for finance and now you are behind this cookbook can you give me sort of how did you what's the arc of your life how did you end up where you are well um i you know i went to college i didn't know what i wanted to do or whatever so like most people i I decided i would get in finance so i got into finance uh and then after gaining 40 pounds and not really doing anything you know um i decided that i wanted to go back to school Um, but all throughout college you know i had weighted tables and that was something that came easy to me and natural and, you know, no other, no, no day was the same and that kind of thing and decided that I wanted to, to get back into restaurants. So I got back into restaurants and then I fell in love with wine. Uh, and that took me to this, to this great place and to great heights. And it was really fun. I met a lot of people. Um, and then with wine, you know, I kind of wanted to continue my education about wine. I had worked in uh, these really great restaurants, but wanted to learn more about wine and just just wine in general, not necessarily more of the food kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, and then I hopped on the production side, and um, that you know that did a lot of things for me in the sense of like wanting to be creative, right? So you know I couldn't afford a designer, so I designed my own labels, uh, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? And it it kind of I could do all those things if I hopped on the production, and so that's kind of what I did. Um, and then you know you know I miss restaurants. I love restaurants. I I grew up in, in them, and. Um, 
and I still get to go into my fair share of restaurants, actually probably, probably, probably quite a bit. Uh, but, you know, for me, this book was more about a love letter in a way, you know, a celebration of the restaurant industry and the chefs that work into it. Um, you know, a lot of the proceeds, uh, part of the proceeds are actually given to the Charlie Jollers Culinary Foundation, uh, which I had the great pleasure of spending some time in, in working in the restaurant uh, uh, with the chef and, you know, with the staff. And it was really amazing, the, the thought and everything, the process and, and of of food in general, but how he gave back to the community. And uh, with his most recent passing, I felt like what better way to be able to celebrate him and everybody in it and what he meant to them um, through a coloring book. Like nothing says celebration like coloring. Right? <laughs> I have to say I got this in the mail to look through before you were coming on the show. Kate, I got yours also. I I kind of wanted to color in both of them. I mean, they're just they're both so fun and interesting and well-designed in their own very particular ways. Kate, what's the story of your life? Like how did you you started the blog first, right? And then the books came out of your blog? I did. Um, I started the blog uh, upon moving to Brooklyn um, and st- starting my freelance career, very slow start to my freelance career. And freelance so, as, a, as a writer? Yeah, writing, doing grant writing and other types of writing. Um, so I moved there and realized, hey, I still I still need to, um, you know, keep house. I still need to, like, I have a place where I enjoy being. Um, and then I'm also gluten-free. I've been gluten-free for eight years. And at the time, this, you know, moving to New York was kind of a jump start because the, the terrible bread that I had been buying um, was now like $3 more expensive per loaf. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I'll try, just try making this. You know, how hard can this be, you know? Um, and it turns out I really enjoyed baking. I really, that's kind of my thing. And, and it was it was cool to discover that here or in, in Brooklyn and, um, and then move on from there. So that was like my entrance to the kitchen and, and home in general, you know, and I, I started the blog more as of a sounding board just to see, is this okay for a modern empowered woman to like baking bread, to enjoy making a nice place for herself and others to come, you know, to, so, and it turned out to be a, something people wanted to read about. And then I wrote, the Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking. It came out in 2011 and then have worked on the Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen since then. I wrote a sort of memoir-esque essay about one day when I was where I had put on an apron and I was wearing... I, I, I put on an apron and I was making strawberry jam and I felt like a 1950s housewife. And I had this like realization in my kitchen like... My mother raised me to not do that. Like she wanted me to be an attorney or like a stockbroker. And here I was like wearing my pretty frilly pink apron and I, you know, I have an education and I could do anything. I happened to be unemployed mm-hmm. at the time or sort of, you know, loosely freelance figuring out what I was going to do. This is before I went to culinary school and I I, I like I found that writing really helped me sort of compartmentalize like yes this is it is okay to enjoy wearing an apron and making strawberry jam like it doesn't make me less of an empowered person and the reality is and Andre I think you can also speak to this like I'm doing it my way like I'm saying you know there isn't somebody else out there who tells me no it's wrong to wear an apron it's me saying no I'm I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna kick ass doing it and that's sort of the tone that the hip girls guide takes yeah, my very first blog post actually was entitled um, Keep the Apron, Pitch the Bra. Like, <laughs> something like, just, you know, make it your own. Like, do do 
you know, yes, there's a lot of baggage with all this stuff, but really, like, keep your mind focused on what makes you feel better and what empowers you, and then go from there. And so, Andre, in terms of doing it yourself, um, this book that you've made is self-published. So how Correct. was that? Was that liberating to you or was that terrifying or both? No, um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily be liberating to me. I just I just did it. Right. So it, it was uh, there was no from start to finish. There was no one to kind of interfere with the creative process or anything like that. Um, so I just sat right down and got to it. Uh, there wasn't anybody nitpicking saying you can do this or you can't do that. And I think that, you know, it's a really great feeling. A lot of people don't have a chance to do that. But I don't really know the other side of publishing either, right? So, uh, you know, with volume two, I probably will. And I'm pretty sure that I could have sold the concept to a publisher. But I, I really wanted to do it all on my own right. first, right? And just to kind of experience all of that and what that means and how that feels. And then, you know, if I go to, you know, to go to a publishing house for the second round, um, somehow, you know, uh, you know, to, to embrace that experience as well. And we have Kate, I mean, Kate, you can tell us like was having the structure of having a publisher. So now, you know, you've gone from your blog, which is a hundred percent you and creative to having a publisher. Did you enjoy the structure or what did you find or, you know, how did you find that experience? I've enjoyed it. I really, I've worked with Harper Collins on both books and, um, I have a great editor and she just left the publisher actually. So I've really appreciated the support that she's, you know, that, that she's provided. And I just, you know, editors are, make things a million times better in my opinion. You know, like I feel like I just couldn't have done certain, some things without her. And I realized she, you know, she's, she massaged stuff into helping fulfill my vision that maybe I didn't even know I had. So cool. it was great. Um, and I really enjoyed, um, I've enjoyed the support stuff that they've offered up. You know, each publisher is totally different, of course, but um, I really enjoyed the the support. You know, I have a publicist and a marketing person surrounding my book launches, and they, you know, they pay for stuff, and and which is kind of olden days publisher stuff lingering. You know, know anyone still did that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So pretty amazing. um, What how I've worked with them. So I've I really appreciated that. We need to take a quick break. Will you both be able to stay? Kate, can you stay on the line for a few more minutes? Sure thing. Okay, cool. We'll be back right after the break. Oh, baby, can't you, can't you hear me crying? Oh, can you hear me loud? You are listening to Help Me Now by the California Honey Drops here on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Sharp and Hot. do-it-yourselfer ever thought about gardening if you can build that window box you can build a raised bed in your backyard bonnie veggie and herb plants in raised beds make a fast weekend project with a big payback fresh grow them yourself tomatoes and peppers kale basil and thyme and so much more bonnie plants are healthy and strong and help jumpstart your garden so get growing plans and how-tos at bonnieplants.com 
Welcome back to Sharp and Hot. I am Emily Peterson, your host, joining you on Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, joining me in the studio is Andre Mack, who is a winemaker, sommelier, author, graphic designer, and all-around cool guy. And on the phone is Kate Payne, author of her new book, The Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking. I wanted to ask you guys some questions for listeners who are, let's say, f- first and foremost, it is suddenly very hot in Brooklyn. And so I have already made one steak salad for dinner because I've realized I live in New Jersey, but my little house gets very hot very quickly. So I'm wondering, um, Andre, can you give us some hot weather? Other wine tips? What would you recommend for like a steak salad or something? Steak salad? Uh, Rosé. And I think rosés are great in the sense that uh, they're cool so they can quench your thirst. A lot of people, I think more people tend to drink more red wine than white wine. Uh, So it still has those red fruit flavors, right? And so it's very refreshing and quench your thirst. And so uh, rosés is is the way to go. How do you tell people if you're going to a store without the help of anyone who knows what they're talking about. Out by me, because liquor licenses are so expensive in New Jersey, the stores tend to be of the big box warehouse variety. Got it. And there are people who will offer their help, but they will not necessarily understand what you're asking for when you give them some this-is-what-I-want type thing. So if un, uh, unescorted, how do you pick a rosé? Because rosé comes in all spe- the whole spectrum of sweet to dry. And Correct. So how do you... Give people some pointers if you want something specific. Well, I mean, the thing is, I think you're an expert in your own taste. I, I would say, you know, take photographs of the labels that you that you of wines that you enjoyed, uh, and try to look for them, or do a little bit more research online that so you can find out what they are. If you like, if you like rosés from Provence, or do you like them from Burgundy, or other different parts of the world. Um, it's really hard to kind of go into a shop unattended, right? Right? If, if there's no one there. Um, you know, it's best to try to interact with, with, with someone, right? You know, the best wine shops are, are the ones that they have people there that, uh, that can show you around. Uh, other than that, I would say you'd, you'd really have to, and, you know, but explore, right? You have to take chances, right? Too. That's the other part of, about wine is exploration, right? And being able to discover those things. And sometimes you can go into a big box store, not really know, and pick something. Um, right. I like and, to tell people to buy two or three bottles of different wines. So if you want rosé, buy two or three, and then you'll know immediately which one you like either better or for different purposes. Yeah, and, well, then, yeah, and I think you should try them all side by side. You should open right. them all up at once. And most know, people, people, most people think you're crazy, right? <laughs> people uh, hear you say uh, that, and they're like, wait, you want me to open three bottles at once? And They're like, like mm-hmm. we haven't finished drinking all of the rest of them, the first one, right? <laughs> so the thing is, is, but that's also, too, I think a lot of people don't have a chance to actually taste wine side by side because that's when you can really change, you know, you know, notices the nuances in, in all three of those wines. If you drink one, you know, back to back to back, by the time you got to the second one, you, you may not even remember what the first one tastes like, right? So right. it's always interesting to be able to taste wine side by side. You know, that was the, I, you know, the aha moment for me is when I worked in a restaurant and we got a chance to taste wine uh, all side by side. So six different varietals. You know, that kind of thing. Right. You really pour makes someone a like six glasses of Riesling and they're like, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, right. The first inclination is that they're all sweet. <laughs> and so you work your way from sweet back to dry. Uh, and it's really interesting, you know, right. and just the, the different types of soil types and all that kind of stuff. So, Kate, are you a wine drinker? I am. And this sounds, this is a great educational uh, experience over <laughs> here. <laughs> is there anything that you want to know about wine? We can help. Maybe we can help answer some of your specific <laughs> questions. And then you can explain to us how to choose something to cook uh, on a hot night. 
Um, well, I was just thinking when, when you were talking, it's not necessarily a question, but um, when you're talking about getting a few bottles of wine and opening them all up at the same time, it's a perfect opportunity to have people over because, you know, like all of you can imbibe together, you know, and it's and like, talk about it. Know, like it's such a social thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah so the, the more the merrier. Yeah. You know, like 60 bucks worth of wine, you know, I mean, or depending on your price points. Um, but yeah, so you can, you know, really explore flavors together and make it like an exciting event. Um, yeah, and have people bring bottles, right? So that's really cool, right? Because then it's only $20 and you get to share in their experience. Totally. Right. And that's, you know, yeah. that's, that's the best way to do it. If you have a group of friends that you really like too, you could say, okay, we're going to do Spanish whites. Everybody bring a Spanish white. And then that way it's not all over the place, but everybody's brought something kind of in the same area of the spectrum to talk about. Yep about oh and then right. you could do and like some manchego yeah yeah i was gonna say have some cheese on hand have some things that like go well with those that sounds delicious <laughs> and i think kate you brought up price point i think one of the biggest takeaways both in wine and cooking and entertaining is like it's not about how much money you spend like it's easy to find a really, really good $100 bottle of wine right. or a really good, you know, expensive cut of meat or a really good expensive restaurant. Like, that's not really a challenge. For me, the fun is in finding, it's almost like being a mystery solver. Like, how can I spend the least amount of money? And also because I'm, you know, <laughs> who I am, <laughs> a little bit cheap and also a little bit broke. How can I make this look like a million bucks, but really not p break the bank? And that's more, even more fun. Like we smoked a pig head for my husband's birthday party last year. Awesome. And the pig head fed probably 25 people. And the whole thing cost like maybe $10 for the head and a couple of bucks for the charcoal. Correct. And it was oh, so amazing. impressive. And we we're like, if it, what no one knows is you just have to know where to find a pig head. Like the hardest part was getting it back to our house. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, those are, those are, those are, that's the beauty of, of, of food and entertaining, right? It's, it's not about how much money you spend. You know, if, it if a bottle of wine costs $100 or more, it better taste good. Right, exactly. Right? That, you know, exactly. That's, you know it's, the, it's the reason why I get up every day was to, was to, to find those bottles that drank better than, than the price point. I'm really excited to right. try your wines, too. You so oh, that's right. Yeah, tell us about your any. label. I have not had any yet. I started a company called Mouton Noir Wines, uh, translation Black, Sleep, Black Sheep. Um, it took me like four readings <laughs> of that to get. I was like, oh, Black Sheep. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's just, there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me that did what I did. So I got the nickname Mouton Noir when I came to New York. And so, uh, yeah, so we, uh, I wanted to make food-friendly style wines, wines that were transparent, honest, and spoke of a place uh, from Morgan, right? And... Um, we make uh, Love Drunk Rosé, which is an ode to my restaurant career, which was full of infatuation and intoxication, right? We have Knock on Wood, which is our stainless steel Chardonnay, uh, all fruit from the Dundee Hills in Oregon. Uh, we also have uh, OPP. You might have seen that around here. It's called Other People's Pinot. So that's our <laughs> everyday drinking with Lambert Valley Pinot Noir. Uh, and then we have a wine called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, which is our, our red wine blend. So you can sample those all across the country uh, in about 47 states. That is amazing. Yeah. So, Kay, leave us with a takeaway tip for cooking in the super hot weather. Well, um, possibly do it in your toaster oven, which you got because you ditched your microwave. Super cool. Um, you know, you're getting a big, big <laughs> thumbs up cheer from Andre over here in the yeah, studio. No microwave here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so. I mean, but another thing is, like, just do stuff, like, there's there's all sorts of great things you can, like, you can ferment your own vinegars in hot weather. Like, wait, just how, use wait. whatever. What? How do you ferment your own vinegar? 
Um, add sugar and water. Um, the recipe's in the book, or the methodology. It's not even a recipe. Um, but you pour sugar, a sugar water solution over um, fruit that's either seen better days, not like moldy gross fruit, but, you know, stuff that's just kind of mushy or just even, you know, prime in its, in its prime. Um, but, yes, you just pour this sugar water solution over it and let it turn into fruit booze for a week and then strain out the fruit and um, let it get exposed, or just like you would with wine, which that you've forgotten about, or wine that has seen better days, you can expose it to oxygen, and um, it'll turn into vinegar. And you cover it with, like, a cheesecloth? Yeah, cheesecloth or um, a thin towel, like kitchen towel, flour sack or something, with a rubber band, and kind of a wide, give it some surface area, so if you can put it in a bowl, that's great. Um, you can make the booze part step one in like a mason jar with a lid, um, but then when you're exposing it to oxygen, just kind of a wide flat bowl. And then how long and, do you let it sit out for? Well, um, vinegar acetobacter bacteria works well in 80 to 100 degree temperatures, and my Brooklyn kitchen was like 95 at least, um, <laughs> so perfect. I was in a uh, top floor walk-up <laughs> once without air conditioning. I know that kitchen. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy, yes. That was it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it, it, it takes probably about two weeks to, to effectively turn into vinegar. You know, just give it a whisk, give it a taste. Um, and then you have a live cultured vinegar with a mother. Um, on my blog, hipgirlshome.com, there's a whole bunch of posts that have actual pictures of, like, the mother forming. And it's really cool. You make the science project that's actually really good for you. I'm really falling in love with all things fermented and... Yeah, I was being a little bit facetious when I say, what? You, how do you make your own vinegar? I made sour pickles, though, a couple of summers ago, and they got so yeah. gnarly, I was actually scared <laughs> to eat them. They ended up going to the chickens because the, like, the top level layer of mold was like as thick as like a paperback book. Like I could peel it open and close. And I got scared yeah. of it. But I, I have to, like, overcome this. Like, I have this sort of puritanical fear of fermenting <laughs> things on my counter. But I encourage other people to do it. I just am scared <laughs> to do it. I'm going to try it, though, on your on your recommendation. I have some blueberries as we speak in the refrigerator that got stuck behind something big. And I forgot about them. And I think they're <laughs> right about perfect. <laughs> Yay, blueberry vinegar. (laughs) So here's the thing that I want to thank both of you for in your contribution to the world of food uh, publishing and food literacy. I... um, I recently had a a cookbook die, a project die, and it was heartbreaking and it's over and it was kind of a relief that it was done. But in the next step process, it's like, okay, what is the cookbook that I want to write? And it's like... I. I feel like Winnie the Pooh sitting on a log being like, think, think, think of, come on, think of something. And what you both have managed to do with these books and why I'm really glad to have brought you both together here is that you've contributed not to the background noise of like food porn photography and 50 ways to go to the farmer's market and make fruit desserts. Like I really, really appreciate your unique and your unique to each yourselves approaches to Getting the book out there, making it, making it happen, but in a way that's not just sort of glossy cover for the first thing that people see when they walk into um, a large book retailer. And I really appreciate that and thank you for it. Thank you. Thank you. That was my pleasure. I'm going to put the links to both of you up on Sharp and Hot. Usually, I, I've been really—I bought myself a, a laptop a few months ago, and it's been—it's really helped me like get things done in a way that I can like sit in my car with my toddlers at the babysitter, yeah. like bang things out. 
The website is not up if you are listening live. Uh, give me 20 minutes and I'm going to run out to my car and put the links up to the <laughs> Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking and the Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen and also to Andre Mack's Small Time Cooks Coloring, Culinary Coloring and Activity book. On next week's show, I'm very excited to be hosting my friend uh, Pete Shukoff, who is the mastermind behind Nice Peter and Epic Rap Battles of History. You may have heard of him. Um, <laughs> additionally, we are coming into our fundraising season and it will be brief and painless and I encourage all of you who love Heritage Radio Network and everything we do to become members by going to heritageradionetwork.org and clicking the donate button you can get a tote bag and be our friend and have our gratitude forever and ever because the, the reality is that the people who listen are the people who make this show possible and I know you have a lot of options out there for to entertain yourselves on Tuesdays between 2 and 2.30 in the New York market it's just me and Terry Gross so go ahead go to the website click donate and become a member and you know you will have our undying appreciation and gratitude until next week thank you uh to my guests andre and kate thank you for coming i am chef emily peterson you can find me on twitter and instagram at chef emily p until next week keep playing with fire and knives thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 